back from the depths of hell. You are listening to the Just Jiu-Jitsu Podcast with the ass master, Croiler Gracie. What? And Andrew Desimone. What? I'm so lost. What did you just say? <laughs> uh, that, I, that was your, I thought you said that's what you wanted. You wanted a nickname. And so I don't, I don't remember that. And so we did a poll on our Facebook page and that's what people decided. Oh, is that right? I didn't see that poll. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I guess I didn't tag you in it. I feel, uh, I feel like that's, uh, that's interesting there. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that one goes. If people, Croyler likes the name, the nicknames Aries and ass master so all right uh we're back we've had a, a little bit of time off uh i'm not gonna say why or whose fault it is it's my i i i just i i was a bit of a slacker a little bit that's right that's right i get it you had a vacation a vac- you know. vacation i just got into that whole uh just floridian you know, lifestyle the floridian lifestyle minus all the meth and pain pills. I thought they were more into like bath salts out there, but you know. Oh no, that's uh, I, I didn't know they're into that. But uh, I mean, what's let's see, what's what's changed since we last? We Joey last visited. Time? Joey visited. Yeah, I think leading up to our last episode, we were talking about playing Dungeons and Dragons. We did play Dungeons and Dragons. It was phenomenal. Joey did a great job as the dungeon yeah, master. He's a great, he's a great, great job keeping us together too. The ability, he's a black belt dungeon master, but in just being able to wrangle and keep all of us together. Contained. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a ta- that was brilliant work. Because there were we had let's see, you, Rich, Clive, Claude, me, Taylor. Taylor. Six people. Yeah. We had six people, and never. I I played a few times before, but I still need a ton of assistance. Everyone else never played. And some a lot some of them came in it to a skept, into it skeptical like okay well right. uh, let's just get through this and just be polite and everyone I talked to afterwards had a good time yeah it was a good time even you had a good time I did mostly because I was fucking with you the whole night <laughs> <laughs> yeah as the night went on let let's rephrase this you picked a fight and then I just wouldn't let off. <laughs> As the night went on, we went from having all of us, all of us as a group it's working nice together, <laughs> trying to fight our enemies. It, it kind of div- just descended into Croiler and I just trying to attack each other. Yeah, we had this like ven- personal vendetta that's happening amidst this much greater battle. Yeah, we, had, we were in this arena and it just, I don't remember how it started. You, I think you you antagonized me somehow. I assume. Oh, it's because it's because. All right, I'm gonna go into this and I'm gonna stop because we need to move on from Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> but so we're in this arena coliseum looking. It's thing. like a gladiator setting, right? Us versus and monsters. So there's like six of us, and there's like you know 18 different things coming at us, and so it gets to Andrew's turn, and he's fucking like, well, I'm gonna climb this wall. Yeah, I was and I was so creative. So so he climbs this wall to avoid the monsters, and then he's like, "I'm also now going to become invisible, so they can't see me." So creative. And then he proceeded to just remain invisible and away from everything for the whole like game. No, <laughs> while we're over there, like you know, while you guys are fighting. Yeah. So here's in again we this ep- this is an episode about jujitsu, so we'll get to, we'll get to it. But 
we're in this coliseum and there is a commander who is on the other end of it on top of the wall and these guys are they're doing what you i mean they're they're fighting on the front lines but everyone needs someone who thinks outside the box and goes for the kill did you make the kill i'm getting to that (laughs) (laughs) so so i i scale this wall and i proceed to travel towards this person now you i have a limited amount of moves per turn and so i can only travel a certain amount so it took like three or four turns for me to walk around so croiler's sitting there why aren't you doing anything why aren't you doing anything (laughs) and i said listen pal i'm i'm walking around and i'm sneaking up to this commander and i'm gonna kill him and then everything's gonna fall apart so I do that, and I get, I get to that commander, and I go to kill him, and and by this point we've killed everything else, so the round ends. No, 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 no. They're they're still. <laughs> you never touch that guy. They, they were still fighting, and so what happened was I attacked this guy, and then Joey says, essentially like, oh, he's off limits. Like you can't kill. Like you can't. There's some barrier around him, I think. And at that time, I'm thinking, well, that would have been nice to know, but, <laughs> but, but I then I think I came down from the wall, and then the battle was over. But that's the kind of thinking. Sometimes you get, you don't succeed, but sometimes that is when it comes and saves. That that could save the and day. His one aggressive move in the entire night of Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> was removing his bracelet and throwing it at my head. That's right. Yeah, I did that. That and was I, it. And I don't, I, I don't regret that. I would do it again if I had a bracelet on now. I'd throw it at you. All right, let's. That's enough Dungeons and Dragons yeah, talk for a day. I'm, I'm good. We're gonna get to the episode. This is our first BJJ Giants episode in a while. It is, yeah. We are doing this one on, and I'm gonna say this over and over in this podcast, and I'm sure I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess it up. Today, today. Am I? To me, it sounds like we're saying the same thing. Yeah, that's right. Am I? I've got it. Okay. We've talked about him a lot in this podcast just throughout the course he comes up because mm-hmm. he he's a pretty big figure and I didn't know about him until you started talking about yeah. him and he is I would say his peak was going to be like the early his prime as far as attention and competing would be like early 2000s yeah right? late 90s to about mid 2000s probably about 2007 or 8 he was like phasing out at that stage when did you first start to notice him oh man this was back in brazil before i came here Mm -hmm. yeah i mean this was back probably around the same time he started getting really big in brazil around 99 ish and did was it a uh i know he he came from poverty yeah he started training yeah he, he came from the favelas in rio you know um I mean, you've been to Rio, you've seen the favelas. I mean, super, super. When we talk about poverty, we're talking about, like, poverty. You know what I mean? Like, not, oh, you know, I don't know if I can have pay my bill this month. I'm not talking about, like, I don't know if I can eat tonight. Right, like <laughs> you know? seeing a guy right. eat a dead bird off the road right. type of poverty. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he kind of came from there. He, you know, he started training at the school. Um, I don't remember what the deal was. Uh, he started training, I think, when he was 14, 13, 14, 15, something like that. And I don't remember what the deal was. If if he 
basically the school did a lot of the school he was at did a lot of um, outreach for the community outreach and and I know he I don't remember if he traded if he cleaned the school to train or if if the schools you know like you know supporting him whatever it was but basically they they gave him a, a, a an escape from his life to train you know mm-hmm. and, and he um, he he obviously took in stride and he he excelled very quickly I, I still think he's probably one of the most raw talented people to ever train jiu-jitsu um you know he had some problems later on that i'm sure we'll get to you know um that that maybe kind of cut his uh, his ceiling up drop his ceiling down a little bit but in terms of raw talent especially early on probably one of the greatest amounts of raw talent in any any competitor when i read about him every i keep seeing raw talent come up and charismatic super charismatic he was so charismatic that when he competed, the other teams would cheer for him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I kept seeing it's a, it, multiple places that I read would say the most charismatic person in jujitsu. Yeah. What about him? What was the charismatic? Well, like, what was his thing? Why was he? Why do people call him he, this? Um, I think he he was a happy guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think when you come from from poverty like that, when you when you're when you're escaping a, a horrible day-to-day life-to-life, like moment-to-moment situation in your life into jujitsu, I think any, not just jujitsu, but anybody that escapes situations like that, I think they're, they tend to be far more, far more appreciative of what they have and, and, and not so entitled to the mm-hmm. things that they, that they have acquired. And, um, I think he, he does a, an excellent job of, um, appreciating the friendships appreciating the people that he meets appreciating the 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 his team the people around him appreciating just even having the opportunity to compete um regardless of of, of results just having the the ability to do that the ability to have clothes on his back the ability to you know be a star in this you know world that is jujitsu you know like I think he appreciates that versus taking it for granted or being entitled, oh, I work hard, therefore I deserve this. I think he just appreciates the fact that he came from nothing and now he's got something. Mm-hmm. You know. When they say charismatic, is that in like interviews or their interviews where you see him? Is he charismatic in that sense or mainly just when he's out competing charismatic? He's, he's charismatic in just about every sense of the word. I mean, I've, I've never personally met him but uh, I have friends that are friends of his. I have people that have lived with him for chunks of time. Um, I've seen tons of interviews, tons of footage before and after competitions, behind the scenes, things like that. And um, I mean, he's just he's just a happy guy, you know. And that's the you know when you're when you're around somebody who's just genuinely happy to be alive and happy to do things and and have people around them. You know what I mean, like that kind of energy is contagious like you feel good being mm-hmm. around them and and i think that's why the charisma you know he's he's just he's just living life he's just enjoying life people talk about him as pers- as far as his personality in a way that reminded me a lot of a henzo yes like henzo henzo too henzo's super happy all the time mm-hmm. you know i'm sure henzo's got moments where he's angry and mean and all that but but all of us do you know mm-hmm. but as a general default he's not a guy who just exists henzo's a guy who's always happy and 
you we want to be around people that are happy you look at marcio is the same way marcio's always happy you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you talk to him you're just like wow the guy's awesome you know it's just like because there's just so much happiness emanating from them you know right and then the other part of the charisma is his just flamboyance on the mats when he when he or or just when he'd be out there dancing he's having fun yeah and he's not mocking people mm-hmm. you know like um, he's not coming out there and like mocking his opponents. No, he's just he's just really having a blast, and you can see it. You can see it on how he grapples. He's just loving it. It doesn't mean that he's not. It doesn't mean he's any less serious. It just means that he's really enjoying his time there. Now, the other th- other thing you said was raw talent. Yeah. When you say raw talent, what do you mean with a guy like him? Um, I mean, we're talking about a guy who started training later in life. Like I said, I think he was in his early teens, thirteen, fourteen. Um, ish. I like how to you um, that's later in life. <laughs> yeah, it's later in life. Yeah. <laughs> Relative to me, right? I yeah. Mean, um, but very quickly, not only... Anyone who's 30 and above, don't be discouraged when he says later in life. <laughs> They're like, what am I, fucking dead? Well, uh, <laughs> no. So, you know, I mean, he very quickly um, excelled. He very quickly not only excelled to be competitive with his peers, but excelled to the point of winning. I think he's won world titles at every belt rank. Um, and uh, very quickly, I mean, like you just blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, you know, gi, no gi, it didn't matter. He was just winning everything, you know. So it wasn't the case of him just being a happy guy who's tough and works hard. I mean, he also just progressed at a faster rate. Raw talent, does that also, to you, have a lot to do with just athleticism? Because that's the other thing I saw as I looked through his his credentials or what people would say about him. They said he was just a very athletic person. Incredibly athletic. And I think athleticism helps raw talent, for sure. But I, I, I think of raw talent more on a mental level and athleticism more on a physical level. So, yes, incredibly athletic character super fast explosive flexible agile i mean like kind of starts to check mark a lot of the box boxes off of an athlete you know Mm -hmm. um but i i I, when i mean when i say raw talented i mean just raw talented like thinking thinking outside the box applying concepts in new ways uh putting his own twist into techniques because they make more sense for him and uh, all the implementations, the innovations, the applications of concepts in different forms, in different ways, um, not only working for him, but being a more efficient way of applying those concepts and those techniques and those uh, attacks. Um, so much so that it influenced, a, it still influences Jiu-Jitsu today. It wasn't so much a, a fad as, as it was a, a trend. Like mm-hmm. he, he, he was a trendsetter, not a fad, you know, character. So that's a good segue into what trends did did we see from a guy when you have someone who has great athleticism mixed with great. Uh, just raw talent what happens and and i know that you'll talk a lot in the gym with people about if you have athleticism that will that'll give you a strong start you're gonna you're gonna start your jujitsu in a place that you're gonna be better than a lot of other white belts you see however 
once you hit that blue belt and middle to late blue belt phase, you're going to you're going to see people catching up with you. Right. If you don't start working on that technique and that that raw talent, so it's almost like he has the raw he has the athleticism to just get him get him to have a strong start in jujitsu, but then that raw talent, that insight, and that correct tactician mindset to then utilize that and propel him to that next level. Right, 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 right. Um, for those of you that that don't know much about jujitsu history, um, which might be the reason why you're listening. Um, which, if if you were coming here for history, you probably turned off in the first five min- minutes and you're like, why are they talking about Dungeons right. and Dragons? I thought this was just jujitsu. <laughs> um, no, so I think, I think, um, like a more recent example of a guy who is incredibly athletic and also incredibly, incredibly talented is Hafa Mendes. So Hafa Mendes is the 2010 version, 2005 to 2000, whenever he retired, 16, I think, version of Teddy Day. Incredibly innovative, super athletic, gifted in just about every area. Teddy uh, Day was much like that, only in an era where Jiu Jitsu was much further, uh, much less developed than it is today. Um, so examples of things that he did that, that nobody was doing, right? So like long, long, long stepping or backstepping, people used to not do that. You know, passing guard was essentially, you, you kind of bulldoze your way through. You, you don't long step around the position. You don't create better angles. He was the first guy to do that consistently and systematically. Um, Passing with agility, so agility style passes. Before you get to the agility style passes, it's, it's it's funny that you say he brought long stepping in to the the mainstream of jujitsu because to me, I think well, that's just a move. It's a basic movement, and so it's always been there. Yeah. and that's the again, that's <laughs> yeah. as we said before, that's the sign of a truly. Uh, monumental or truly important technique right. is when it becomes something that's just normal and something yes. like a long stepping. I as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, well, yeah, of course you do this. It doesn't take someone to to bring this about, right? But it does. But it does. Yeah, he did <laughs> because. You said before that people were just, it's just, yeah, I have it was, to go through. It was like smash passing before this. You know, you mm-hmm. kind of you kind of put weight, crush your opponent down, don't let them move, don't let them squirm, use your weight, use your power, use your pressure, and then you just inch your way through, mm-hmm. you know? And he was the first guy to be like, no. <laughs> and when you, I guess describe long stepping just a little bit more so people listening know so, what technique so, that is. So long stepping is the idea of... Um, so long stepping and back stepping are essentially the same thing, just in different directions, right? So long stepping is the idea of uh, opening your legs, opening your hips by by uh, moving your leg away from your center line. Um, so it, it, it's something that today is taught, like you said, it's just taught in classes. It's not even taught as a technique. It's just part of part of techniques now, mm-hmm. right? So long stepping is um, the idea of opening your hips and and taking your leg as far away from your center line and as far as far away from that as possible and landing in a solid base. You often see this in guard passing, uh, primarily in open guard passing, but sometimes you see it in other styles as well. And just something as simple as that, why did that have such a huge effect on 
guard passing? What is just stepping, long stepping, back stepping? What does that What does that do in a world where people are only used to crushing? Crushing, yeah. So long stepping. The benefit of long stepping is it creates, um, it changes the angle, right? So anytime there's an angle change in jujitsu. Um, you as a person defending or attacking for that matter, if, if the, the relationship between your opponent has changed because of an angle shift, you need to either find a way to uh, correct that so that you move yourself into a better angle again or that you move them back into the angle that you need them at. And um, in guard passing, particularly back then, the idea wasn't so much to m- change the angle. It was just to to stop your opponent's ability to move and then inch your way through, right? So all the counterattacks, all the sweeps, all the submissions, all the fighting people were doing were essentially from a static position in hopes of finding, you know, a way to break free from however they're being held down, from however they're being pinned down. Um, Meanwhile, Tedede would change the angle. So all these counters that relied on the assumption of your attacker and you are not changing position all of a sudden went out the window people couldn't keep up because now he's like in a whole different angle or a whole different position whole different orientation and your attacks don't mean anything so what was the reaction that the opponent would have in guard passing they would try to follow him right so the people that didn't follow him as soon as he long stepped he was out and the people that did try to follow him to make sure that they kind of recover that angle, he would just backstep to the other direction again, to the original direction, <laughs> and basically his opponent would whiff, right? He would, he would swing to a different angle that he's no longer at now. And he could very very quickly just change directions and change angles with his long step and backstepping, and people couldn't keep up, you know? Did, did he have a... Were these things he's doing, Did, did his, does the body type matter? Did he have a body type that lended itself more... Uh, beneficial to that or it really was irrelevant um, it, now nowadays mm. we see that the body body type doesn't matter mm. skinny overweight tall short athletic not athletic everybody can long step and everybody can back step he probably did it because he was athletic and because he could mm. right there was no reason why he couldn't he just literally thought outside the box and i'm sure that as it was successful in practice he, be, he got more and more confident with it, and then he applied it live, and then it worked. All right, you mentioned agility passing as something else that he brought into the game, and it sounds like the stepping is going to be a part of that agility passing. Absolutely. Um, essentially, the long stepping and back stepping were the, the roots to the, the development of the idea of agility passing. So um, You could do the long steps you could do if you weren't necessarily – Athletic, Correct. but the agility part, you probably have to be athletic Correct. for that. The misdirection, um, you need a little bit of tempo for that. Okay. Um, he often uh, attributes his dancing to the ability to change directions, the misdirection, and so on. I've told you so many times that you you need to embrace the dancer in you. It's okay. I can do agility passing, but I'm not going to dance. <laughs> but your agility passing could go to the next level. Oh, We're absolutely. not going to get into it. I know. I'm sure it could. I'm sure it could. All right. I'm, uh, let's get, let's so, um, no, the the then you know as the years went on, you saw the 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 long stepping and back stepping become far more dynamic. Where he was not the the idea, right? The concept of hey, if I change the angles, uh, either a they can't keep up, or and and if they can't keep up, they can't perform, and if they can keep up, 
I can misdirect, right? And that's where you start seeing lots of uh, spinning, lots of turning, you know, lots of angle changes, uh, very fast transitions from, from one angle to the other. And people just, they would essentially just, just couldn't keep up. They would just fall into place. Now you, you brought up the misdirection. Explain the misdirection. Is, what is the, what is it? And then why does that help remedy the, let's say problem he'd see that would arise of, okay, people know I'm going for these long steps, they're following me, and they, they you might have an opponent who's quick also, but then you use misdirection to so, what so extent? I'll, um, I'll get to that in a second. It's gonna seem like a weird, weird tangent, but it's not. So if you and I are gonna have like a old Wild West style, you know, duel. Right? Like it, this sounds fun. Let's right. okay. So we both we both have our guns are back to back. We walk twenty paces away. We're from on each a dusty other. road, there are saloons on each side. Absolutely right. Okay. We walk twenty paces away, we turn around, we face each other, we both have our hands in our in our guns, right? And then yeah. And then uh, on my count we, we shoot. Okay, so I go one, two, three, who wins? One, two, three. Well, I'll win because I'm faster than you. No, 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 no. I will win every time. <laughs> because you... Because I count. Because you count, yeah. Because I count. I go one, two, three. One, two, three. <laughs> I, can, I can determine. You when set the happens. tempo or the pace. Exactly. So what happens in, the, in an agility style pass, in the misdirection in particular, that idea of misdirection is you don't know if I'm going to change angles or not. Right. Once I long step or back step or, or go in a specific direction, you have to assume that that is the current problem. Mm, okay. Right? Because if you don't, let's say I go right and you go left, right? Um, I'm just going to pass, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So if I go right, you also have to go right. But you have to first determine which way I'm going and then go. Because of that simple fact, uh, that's what gives agility passing its most powerful weapon, which is a misdirection, is you have to, you, you as the defender have to behave in a very predictable way. The, predict the predictable way is you gotta turn into me, you gotta follow me. So if I go right and you come right, I just go left. And then you're gonna go, oh shit, he's going left. And let's say you keep up again. You don't know if I'm gonna continue to go left or if I'm gonna change right again. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And the more agile I can be on my feet, the lighter I am on my feet, which he was, he's very athletic, um, the, f the more times I can effectively misdirect, causing you to overcorrect on the bottom. And because you're overcorrecting, I can get ahead. What does it take to be an effective misdirector? Because you could, you could just run back like back and forth and try to misdirect what do you have to do to so be good at it you have to you have to ensure that every misdirection leads to a further step forward um which sometimes means a literal steps other times just means more control which to tie along to it is um agility passing he started implementing the idea of stapling which was the idea to restrict the opponent's ability to follow right so, so you, you essentially you're gluing them to one point as you and, and move as you move them. the other direction right so you glue a knee an ankle a hip whatever he doesn't have to guarantee that he can keep you glued in a particular way right 
if you if you are glued in a particular way, he just passes. But if you're if you are to not be glued, you have to react to that grip. You have to over um, exert yourself to beat that grip or to turn in a particular way, and then he can just breeze to the other side. And if he breezes the other side, maybe now the grip is a little bit better. Maybe he's a little bit closer to passing. And and even if not, if if it's all a wash, it's so much more work for the person in the bottom to have to drag their bodies back and forth from one side to the other than it is for somebody on their feet to just go left to right. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you looking for examples of agility passing, you can look for old today videos. There's not as many because obviously this was before you know, camera phones were a thing. Um, there's plenty of footage, but not as much as there is on Hoffa Mendes. So if you look at Hoffa Mendes passing, um, you'll see a lot of influences from today, but also clear cut examples of what now, what he started to develop in the early 2000s and where it's at now with Hoffa Mendes and his agility passing. Gotcha. So with this, with this agility passing, it all hinges on you being the aggressor and the setter of the tempo and what's happening. Absolutely, 100%. He was definitely an aggressive competitor. And what do you, what do you do to become, to be that aggressor, it means that you're following me. Does does someone just automatically follow you? They, uh, as you're you're trying to pass, they have to adjust to try to 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 go to, to defend. So, as he is setting that tempo, as he's trying to pass and they're following, um, we have the long stepping, we have we have agility, we have the, so his speed and then the stapling. Is there also, besides the stapling, which is securing someone to one point of the mat, there's also, I assume, a moving of someone Correct. to another person, part Correct. of the mat. Sometimes he forces an overcorrection on their part. Okay. So if, let's say, I'm stapling your knees down and I can't keep them down and you're going to win that fight anyways and you're turning into me, maybe I can help you come towards me and I overcorrect for you. You see, I pull you in the direction that you're trying to come, but because that happens, you move a whole lot faster than you originally intended. Hmm. All right, so we have this agility passing. Were there other other, uh, parts of this? Was he one to, I mean, we, we all see agility passing now, highlights of people jumping and cartwheeling and right. doing acrobatic things. He, he was an influence in just about all of that. Yeah, he, he, he would utilize that stuff as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, another guy around his time that was also a really big agility passer was Lel Vieira, um, roughly around the same time, maybe maybe about a year or two after today. Now, he also, I, I was reading, there are some things that, that people will give him as far as Making popular or bringing to uh, to the crowds of jujitsu, and they said the Toriendo. Yeah, <laughs> Toriendo. Toriendo. The bullfighter pass. The bullfighter pass was the the most primitive style of agility passing, and he was the first person to really um, perfect it. All right, you say the most primitive. When I hear the bullfighting pass, here's what comes to mind. For me, it's I'm, I'm picturing a matador with with a with his his red sheet or blanket or afghan uh, and and moving side to side. So if I translate that to jujitsu, it's I'm gonna have someone's legs and move those side to side. Essentially, okay. Yeah. 
and, and what there's different variations and modifications on it. And so it's it, it's kind of what we were just talking about. It's forcing. It's an overcorrection. It's an overcorrection. Yeah. And you say it's a primitive form. So he was just that's what he's doing. And now what's a more advanced primitive version? In the sense that it's older, not that it's less effective. Right. Okay. Um, but there's there's more advanced styles like X-Passing. Um, I think Solo um, around 2006 or seven, he started X-Passing where he would um, change the angle of his head, his his posture in order to do the Toriando and he would end up in the unbelly instead of um, in side mount. So he would get, you know, five points instead of three. Um, there are other attacks. People combine sometimes a bullfighter with a strong reaction to go into an overstep, into a leg over overstep, slide down, and, and things of that nature. Um, as people developed nearer and nearer guards, Toriando by default loses its efficiency, right? So you start getting into like De La Hiva, you start getting into uh, lasso guard, things that weren't as prevalent back then. Um, ultimately force force the Toriando to be put back in the back burner or be modified like the axe pass and so on in order to guarantee a more successful outcome. Mm. What about, I also saw leg drag. Would that be... Leg drag, yeah. yeah. I, I in know... A, in I, a very early stage. <laughs> I hear leg drag. So I know I know what an arm drag is. Uh, leg drag, is is that also similar to like a bullfighter where you're grabbing the legs and... and yeah, so directing those one way. Right. So it turns out that uh, Toriando originally you'd push the legs completely to the floor on either side of you as you pass. Um, the leg drag um, would the legs would be draped over your legs, so you get into a squatted position. So instead of pushing the legs completely to the floor, you would just pull their legs over your leg to get into leg drag style position. Okay, and what, what do you usually do from that um, position? Uh, there's a number of things you can do. Um, you can crab right to the back. You can just okay. take the back and get the side mount. You can go into lag attacks. There's a number of great, great options. And uh, leg dragging is um, became much more popular later on with Hafa Mendes, but also with the with uh, Andre Galvão, big with the leg, leg dragging as well. Which he didn't... Uh, tere- Teach was, was one Gabal? of his, yeah, was one of his original instructors. Yeah, yeah, he he was a, he was a good coach too. He had yeah. Gabal, he had uh, was it Lepre, Lucas the Lepre. Lepre. There's a number of great guys that now you're you just take these guys for granted, but that they were all either taught by or co co taught, you know, by today back in the day. Do most of those guys have that similar style? of him uh, I'm sure they all have influences from him mm-hmm. right the Galvão is really big into leg dragging obviously a clear influence from from TDD uh, Lepre is very dynamic in his movement so yeah and it, we talked earlier about the early 2000s being when he was kind of on top and he he won some big tournaments I know he won IBJ J, IBJFF IBJJFF whatever the BJJF there we go um he won that, I think it was 2000, 2003. The Worlds as a black belt, yeah. And he won the World Tournaments for all his belts, too. But those were his two black belt wins. And then he won Brazilian Nationals in... Several times. I, I yeah. want to say the same years. The Brazilian Nationals, those that's I think the, you've talked about before. It's the toughest tournament on the planet. <laughs> yeah, so why, why is that... T- you'd think, well, that's just the nation, but the world must be the hardest. No, no, um... You have to factor in travel and uh, and cost. Mm-hmm. You know, 
imagine today back in 2000 when he was getting popular but he was still living very much in a in a poorer side of society right if you if the world tournament was in japan as an example uh, there's no way that he could afford to travel to japan um go get a visa travel to japan pay for a state pay for the food travel back i mean you got to remember that back in the day 20 years ago um jiu-jitsu competitors didn't make money like you competed just for the glory of it the only way you made money in jiu-jitsu was by opening a school mm-hmm. so this was a you know when you go to the net brazilian nationals there is a slew of of brazilian nationals for for lack of a better term that um brazilian natives that uh, they don't have money or means to travel um but they can't afford to go and sign up for a competition you know, that's local. They can go there, compete, and go home that night. So, so there are a lot of people there who have the talent level to take them to a world to a world competition, just not the the means to do it. Absolutely. And so you have this small petri dish of just high level people who are that's that that's that's the limit to whether they can go at the time. And it's a financial limiter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a. I think his name is Gabriel Souza. Um, I remember seeing, I started, I, like a friend requested him on Facebook when he was a purple belt um, because I saw some footage of his at the world tournament, basically. Um, and, and and he's young, I think he's only like 20 now. He's a black belt now, um, but he, 20 or 22, he's young, young. But um, this guy, he, he tried flying here to compete at the world tournament and there was a, a bunch of financial mishaps essentially he ended up just making it into the country like like no money no nothing so this dude like was sleeping like in like the benches by the competition waiting for the competition to start that day to wow. compete. and he goes out there and nobody's ever heard of this this kid i had never heard of him. nobody's heard of this guy comes out of nowhere just destroys everyone in his weight class and the open. And then he made it back to Brazil and, uh, he was basically asking for support. He's like, Hey, I need help. Like, you know, if I, if I go to America, I can keep doing well. You guys saw I won. I can do better. I can do, I just need money to go and do those things. And he was able to, you know, secure some sponsorships and some schools were helping him, you know, achieve his dreams and stuff. And he's won a ton of great things. I don't know if he's won the world title yet, but he's won. He's competed in Abu Dhabi. He's competed in some major, major tournaments. Um, and now he's opening a school. I just saw nice. like about a month ago. He he's uh, opening a school. I think in North Carolina. Okay, you said he's about twenty now. Yeah, he might be twenty-two. Is he black belt now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well that's that's a, that's kind of yeah, cool. And I'm sure he's not the only one. I'm sure there's thousands more in Brazil who just can't afford to travel. Right. So he he has won those big tournaments. Now he also, as someone who competed a lot at the high level, had some big names that he competed against. Yeah, I know he. I've saw Nino Jambri, yeah, Fabrizio beat- Verdum, who who is a lot bigger than him. Yeah, he's beaten some huge guys, man. Um, he- I think he lost to Verdum, but. Again, that's that's still that's he doesn't a, care. He fights fights bigger people, smaller people. Doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Or like like a Nino Chembre. Yeah, Nino's about his size, I think. That's and Nino's Nino's another freak too. Right. Yeah. Um, 
but uh yeah no, he's most the, the thing that nobody knows about him is like he fought um that's what i was looking up before the podcast because i wasn't sure what the record was um he's the only guy to fight marcel garcia and like i think he fought him twice um and he beat him both times wow like with a submission like marcel garcia has 17 losses to his record and in like 20 some years of competition <laughs> yeah. and yeah the two two of his 17 losses were by today and he's i think i think garcia was only submitted like four or five times and and one of those was also by today I don't think Garcia ever beat Tedede. What would Tedede do once he passed? Usually, because we talked about his passing. Once he got past that, was he a was he a side control guy? Mount? He's a back guy. He take people's back and choke him. Oh, okay. You know, sometimes he do a couple arm bars and stuff in a transition to the back. But generally speaking, lots of chokes from the back. So once he would pass that guard, how would he get to their back? I mean, it's the the curse of turtling, you know. <laughs> a lot of people would turtle. Turtle, yeah, you know, to avoid the points, and then they'd give it up. Um, you'd also see a lot of people that would just try to find a way up, you know, however they could, or get off from the bottom, and they would expose to angles. And because he moved so well on his feet, he was able to take advantage of back exposure that back in the day people, you know, didn't know was a possibility. Okay. Anything else about... That wasn't a dog. Uh, I wasn't dogging Marcelo Garcia by any means, right. by the way. I mean, dude is incredible. Yeah. Legend. I'm just saying this is something to put into the forefront of people when they're listening about today. I'm not just saying he was good. He was incredible, you know? Yeah, it doesn't take anything away from Marcelo Garcia. No. It's It shows that he, he gets so much praise and deservingly so, right. but I feel like Tedere doesn't have as much knowledge Correct. for the the people who aren't as familiar. Right. And so it shows it's this isn't someone who just, yeah, they were good. They like won a couple right. matches. Yeah, no, he was, he was awesome. Yeah. Now he did have, we talked about earlier, some issues that a lot that, probably stunted his what more he could have done and he, he I, I saw he had schizophrenia he struggled with addiction right yeah he 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 fell into drugs um i don't know if the schizophrenia was a result of the drugs or from what i read it looked like that's what probably I don't know um, I don't know if one thing led to the other if they kind of both happened together if if it was just a poor crowd I, I don't know but um, they, they got to the point where um, he, 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 he was selling his gi he sold his belt for, for drug money I mean like uh, and I'm talking about like his black belt that he was training with at the time I mean like he, he did mm-hmm. he's, he did some awful things um, some sad things you know because of his drug use um, and he, you know, he's never been the same since. I'm sure he'd still be a, a, a high, above average grappler anywhere in any competition he entered, but he was never able to go back to who he was pre-drugs. You know, um, uh, he's he, he is clean now, to my knowledge. I think he's in London now. He's got a school there. He's been clean. I want to say I want to say he has been clean for six to ten years now. But I, I don't know for sure. Yeah, and it looked. It also was neat because it looked like he does a lot to help Community. teach yeah. with um, people who people. It sounds like came from a background similar Correct. to him, just didn't have the means to to pay for training. Yeah, he still he still very heavily supports uh, jujitsu in the favelas in Rio. He still That's cool. comes out and visits. He still does classes. I mean, like he still does a lot. He knows where he came from. He's still a, a super great guy. 
you know, he, he just fell into drugs for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's mental, depression, uh, stardom, whatever. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it to, like to my knowledge, and again, I only know so much, but to my knowledge, he is clean or has been clean for the most part of the last six to 10 years. Um, he's trying to give it back as best he can to the communities around him and in Rio. Um, and I think his school is fairly successful in London now. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Everything I saw it sounds like he he's in a pretty good place now, and it's he's he's seems to be doing well. And he is. I don't think I've seen anyone argue that he hasn't been a huge, hugely influential person on jujitsu. And if you if you could say something to people listening about they leave this, what should they? keep what info should they keep from this what should they learn from today as we end this episode that will help their jujitsu i think have fun and think outside the box mm-hmm. uh today always looked in every match winning or losing looked like he was having fun and he was obviously always thinking outside the box for those of you watching his matches now may think he's not doing anything excellent but it, you're not thinking anything excellent because it's something that you do today as mm-hmm. a standard that was set by him back 20, 30 years ago. Um, you know, it, it was, he was a happy guy, he is a happy guy, he's not dead, he's a happy guy. Uh, he competed, it made him happy, he was a, he, jiu-jitsu made him happy and it showed. And I think if we were all happy when we're training and had fun and thought outside the box, our jiu-jitsu would be far greater than what it is. There you go, that's, that's, that's nice. I, you said he, had fun you tell told me he had fun and he thought outside the box that's what people should learn just we're coming for full circle right now to the dungeons and dragons game we played and what i did was have fun and i thought outside the box while you all were literally inside a box fighting i said i'm escaping this box the difference is Yours was a cowardly act. No, no, no. Was <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't escaping because I was afraid. I was escaping because I thought, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be sequestered into this. This. I'm not gonna be confined in this area with these walls. I'm going. I'm going outside that's, the walls. You know, that's like the equivalent of us getting into a bar fight, and you're like, "Yo, you, you got this. I'm gonna go find the exits, just so that when you're ready, we know where to go." No, no, no. Here's. <laughs> Here's the equivalent. We're in a bar fight with like 15 guys. Yeah. And they have this big gang leader who's going like, hey, you go to that side. You go to this side. Fuck yeah. And I go, guys, give me a second. And I run out the back. I come around the front door. I come up behind him and I stab him in the neck. And I go, you fucking see that, guys? Only, and everyone just scatters. Only you didn't stab that guy in the back. You just hid. <laughs> I know, but okay. Well, then the equivalent would be I come around to stab this guy, and then some, some like then God opens the sky up and says, "Andrew, you can't kill him." I'm like, "Well, I didn't know that leading up to this." And then you just hide the rest of the time. Well, then I go hide under a under a booth yeah, or something. Right. That's that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm the Ted today of Dungeons and Dragons, is what we established. I, I, I'll leave Joey to decide that. <laughs> Joey, please let us know. <laughs> yeah, Joey Joey will give us some feedback. All right, well, everyone, that's, that's the end of this episode. It's good to be back, and we will see you next week. 